The gospel today comes from the gospel of John, chapter 21, beginning in the 15th verse. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he'd said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by the way by which the kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Life feels relentless. Sometimes. All the time. But we all feel that sometimes, don't we? Wonder where is there or when Will there be rest? Where will we find a sense of completeness in an incomplete, ever, never-ending, incomplete world? I mean, it, it won't come, unfortunately, at the end of a semester because we know in not too long we'll have to get ready for the next one. It won't come even after graduation because that next step begins now, even after a job well done. And while a job well done feels good and is good, it's never quite complete here on this side of heaven. And what we'll find, I think, as we come into today's text, both in Nehemiah and in the Gospel of John, that our rest will finally come not from the completion of a project, but from a person. As Nehemiah recounts God's faithfulness, especially as we get in the latter parts of chapter 9, which I hope you'll read at home later today. One commentator put it this way, God is in every sentence. You see, the source of our completeness and rest and of what God has done and what he's doing in us comes in completion, not at the end of the job, but because of the relationship with the one who has called us. But let's take a moment to recount what we have seen in these last several weeks in Ezra and Nehemiah and even what we get a glimpse of today in the Gospel of John. God sent Zerubbabel to rebuild the foundation of the temple after it had been destroyed and 
folks had been separated from the very presence of God. And the temple's foundation was rebuilt. And and though it would later look glorious again under Herod, it was never quite done. It was only, even in its first construction, even in the glory days of Solomon, only a foreshadow of the temple that would be made complete in Christ himself. And the word was heard again as God, a few years later, would send Ezra to gather people once again in worship. But even that work which still continues to be today, was not complete. Only a foreshadow of the one who would be the word made flesh. And so that word continues to come to us. And then, of course, there's the wall that God used Nehemiah out of his day job now and this special project to rebuild around the city. And we read in chapter 6 and 7, it only took 52 days after months of prayer and preparation to complete the project. And yet, after chapter 6 and 7, there were uh, several more chapters left to be read in the book of Nehemiah. The work wasn't just the wall, it was with God's people and their God. Not That takes us to chapter 9 today. And a worship service, by the way, three hours reading the scripture, that's a quarter of the day, and three hours confessing. I haven't added this six-hour liturgy into our rhythm yet, but the six-hour worship service that included confession After days of a festival and a party, some commentators wonder aloud, "Uh, did Nehemiah's account get the order wrong? I mean, why, why do the confession after the party? But then most will begin to see, and you will too, even looking at the traditions that we know today with the Jewish New Year followed not that long after by Yom Kippur, the time of confession and repentance. Or how about in our own tradition and liturgy today where we celebrate Advent and the glorious day of God being with us, Emmanuel, and Christmas. Only it seems, and it feels quicker and quicker every year to be followed by Ash Wednesday in the season of Lent. And so this liturgy that we are witnessing, this six-hour worship service of repentance and remembrance, and if you keep reading chapter 9, you'll get that sense of remembrance as he recalls all that God has done. And yet, when you get down to verse 33, you get this stirring word that reads, Yet you, God, have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully, God, and we have acted wickedly. After all of this, God has been faithful and we 
have been wicked. And so they face the facts in this time of confession in God's word, which once again leads to God's restorative grace. Emmanuel, God with us now, then, and always. And maybe particularly for us as we remember today, God with us on the cross. Because isn't this testimony in Nehemiah isn't about a a perfect people. God was faithful. They, we, were wicked. This is about real life. I mean, even when you hear the encounter between Jesus and Peter, once again, it's after the glorious good news of Easter. And then comes repentance. (laughs) As Jesus which maybe some thought was a downer, recalled the three times that Peter had just denied him. But there again, restoring him. Now, by the way, when you hear texts like this encounter with Jesus and Peter, is the first thing that comes to your mind, you know, that, that's a good text to be read at a wedding. No? Uh, I thought so, so Joy and I had that text read at our wedding. Because we wanted our life together to be marked by speaking the truth and forgiveness and grace. And what we'll talk about in just a moment, the calling that God then gives us. For in John 21, Jesus is risen. And God's plan was unfolding as it was unfolding with his people at the time of Nehemiah. And although it was only then a foreshadow of what is to come and fully revealed now in Christ with Jesus and Peter, it was a movement from joy to restoration and now calling. In the case of the time of Nehemiah, it was a recommitment to the covenant. In the case of Peter, It was a commissioning, a new restorative commissioning now that he'd been forgiven. And in the case of you and me, that calling remains. His plan doesn't ignore then or now our brokenness. It deals with it. At that point now, as we think about our brokenness in a week where many of us are wondering, where is God in this broken world? Nehemiah reminds us that he is present. Jesus, with Peter, reminds us that he is present. His righteousness is ever before us. His generosity, that word generous, keeps showing up throughout chapter 9. And loving even though we are broken, even though we are, as we hear in verse 33, wicked. Nehemiah, and now Jesus, who he foreshadowed, who the temple, who his word, who his promise now foreshadowed, is about hope. But let's deal with the reality of this broken world for a moment. 
in weeks like these when we ask questions and we can't understand why. We come to Jesus to try and understand how could this happen. We understand God's heart only then. We can only understand God's heart only then as a God who is with us in our suffering, a God who went to the cross. You see, we're not going to probably be able this week to answer the question, why? But what we can answer is what Jesus has done. He went to the cross. He is for us. He understands suffering. Gregory Boyd, in his book, A Skeptic's Letter, which was a collection of letters, at the time he was a a seminary professor and his dad, an atheist, and this was the way that they could be in conversation about these deep questions. And one of the questions that his dad wrote to him was to the gut. As his dad writes, why would God not intervene when your mother died when you were just a young boy? Why would he leave me with young kids to raise? Why would God not intervene in dark days in human histories with places like Auschwitz? And as Dr. Boyd reflected on that, gut-wrenching question. One night he told the story about how that question had haunted him in his life and he would look to the stars and see the, the beautiful sky and the handiwork of God's creation think oh there must be a God and then he would look to the brokenness of this world and feel like how can this be? And it dawned on him that only the gospel dares to proclaim, as he writes, that God enters smack dab into the middle of the hell that we create. Only the gospel dares to proclaim that God was born a baby in a stable. And all the muck and smells that are involved in a stable. And that he lived and befriended prostitutes and lepers and those no one else would befriend. And he suffered firsthand the hellish depth of the nightmarish human experience. Only the gospel is a portrait of God that gets the sense of that contradictory fact that the world is all at once so beautiful and so ugly. This is Jesus, God with us. God for us. And when we can't understand why, we know what he did and who did it. God with us. No, Ezra and Nehemiah didn't describe a perfect world. It didn't describe perfect followers. But it did describe a God who was relentlessly faithful in pursuing them as he continues to pursue us. A God who keeps coming after us despite our wickedness. 
Jesus on the cross ultimately reveals God's heart for us. As we suffer, we know that he understands our suffering. And Easter will ultimately, on this seventh weekend of Easter, ultimately proclaim hope beyond suffering. And so God deals with the reality of who we are. He faces the facts. He deals with it. And he comes to us through the cross. And so he came to Peter three times. Do you love me? And he painfully recounted as he invited Peter to confess his rejection of Christ only days before. Peter had to acknowledge as Jesus invited him to love him with the unconditional agape love of God that his love was incomplete as he responded with that Greek word phileo with human love, brotherly love. But Jesus restored him in love for love. You see, in light of the cross, we even, despite our wickedness, see that God is working for our good. And we then get a calling to love. What are you and I called to do in response to the world around us? To love and serve like Jesus called Peter, like he calls us. In verse 4 of Nehemiah chapter 9, as it was read for us, we even get a glimpse of how. And by the way, that's, this is where those hard names that Scott read for us pay off. Because they actually give us a clue on how to follow. For Shabaniah means most likely to turn and pray. To turn and pray to Yahweh. Buni, short for Benaiah, means what Yahweh has built. And Sherebiah, or Keniah, short for Keniah, means Yahweh strengthens. And so we are called to turn and pray to the God who builds us up, who has built his kingdom and life for us, and who is the one where our strength comes from. God has completed and now it's unfolding and revealed finally in Christ, in you and I, in love. Derek Kidner, the scholar, uh, one of the scholars who have, have done some deep study of Ezra and Nehemiah calls this a turning point in the life of God's people. It was a turning point in Peter's life. And today, as we come to this text, you and I, I suggest it's a turning point in our lives. Will we receive this gift of grace anew? Will we hear that calling to feed his sheep and to love our neighbor and to proclaim the good news of the gospel? Will we do it even in the face of our own sin, coming to him to restore us by his grace? We remember that God is with us. And I think it's a turning point 
not just for you and me individually, but we're at a turning point in the life of our congregation. As we come back from a couple years of pandemic, as we come back together and heed the call to come to God's temple as he did with Zerubbabel, to hear God's word as he worked through Ezra and to be a part of what God is building as he did through Nehemiah. Will we love one another in discipleship with each other? Will we be built up together in worship? Not just on festival days like Easter, but all the days that follow. Will we not be afraid to ask hard questions, gut-wrenching questions sometimes like Gregory Boyd did with his dad? And seek to defend the faith? Will we not be an evangelist for the gospel in a world so thirsty for it, even when they don't know it, despite our own wickedness, because God keeps coming after us? Friends, when life feels relentless, when the brokenness seems too big to even try and rebuild, repent and remember to turn and pray to Yahweh, to turn to the one who didn't just rebuild the temple sometime back there in the past, but rebuilt it and three days rose. Yahweh, Jesus, God with us. This Yahweh, this Jesus strengthens us. At this turning point, will we receive his love together? May we love his sheep together. May we be part of what God has built and is building in us, in this place, and in the world around us. Amen.